Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Uh, I've got a great guest with me today, as always, Dr. Mia Baytop-Russell. Mia, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Earl. I'm happy to be here. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm I'm delighted to finally uh, get the opportunity to have this discussion with you. You know, listeners, uh, you know, we had a bunch of hurdles to get this conversation, and I'm just grateful uh, to Mia for sticking with me to get this thing going. So uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation that we're getting ready to have here, and I think it's going to be a doozy. And and why do I think it's going to be a doozy of a conversation? Well, here's what I want you to know about Mia. Mia has served in various roles across nonprofit, academic, and corporate sectors. Currently, as lecturer in the Center for Leadership Education at Johns Hopkins University, she teaches leadership and management courses. Drawing from personal interests and challenges with work-life integration and work-family conflict, Mia has spent decades exploring well-being in multiple contexts. Her research focuses on the sustainability of well-being, specifically family economic well-being, and career work-related well-being as a contributor to the field of financial education and organizational behavior. Mia has published dozens of interdisciplinary articles, developed programs, and consulted with organizations. She's also written a great book with co-author Gervin Liggins titled, uh, titled Fired Up, A Guide to Transforming Your Team from Burnout to Engagement, which I'm sure will provide a lot of backdrop for our conversation as we go through uh, the rest of our discussion. But before we get into that, I think you can see why I'm really excited to have you answer the question I start off all of my guests. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? Yeah, um, I think this is a really important question. And in fact, I think this really sits at the crux of our book. We think of uh, responsible leaders as one that uh, values trust, respect, fairness, that puts their team, their employees, their followers at the kind of the center of what they are thinking about. And they really exhibit this care, concern, and consideration for their well-being, for their growth and development. So I I think a responsible leader demonstrates all of those characteristics, again, um, and, and, and are poised or in a position that really can help others grow and develop. Mm. No, I like that. I like that. Cause that is true. I mean, you, you really have to be, be ready and willing and able to, to, to bring others along with you there. So I like that answer 
I like that answer a lot. Um, so I, I'm really, I was really intrigued by your book, Fired Up, and the the topic of burnout. And, you know, again, I, I see responsible leadership as kind of a key role in battling, if you will. I can't think of another word right now. Uh, that's the Marine in me, right? Always got to go to the battle scenarios uh, and, and battling uh, burnout. Uh, but why, why did you all decide to kind of focus on this topic of burnout? Let's, let's start there. Why was burnout so important? You wrote a whole book about it. Yeah, well, first, let me start by saying thank you for your service. And um, second, I, uh, about the idea of battling, um, my co-author, who's also a Marine, um, mentioned uh-huh. several times that I was using a many too, too many um, military words around, you know, um, like battle, overcome. Um, uh, I can't think of some of the other words now, but, you know, we came to much uh, easier on the uh, reader words like acknowledge and act. <laughs> but um, I do think of burnout as this thing that we need to tackle and overcome and just uh, kind of eviscerate in our environments and really, um, you know, the, to, to answer the bigger question about how we got here, it really came from, you know, nearly, I guess, really over a decade of work in organizational leadership. And um, Gervin and I have two different interests and kind of uh, uh, perspectives on organizational leadership, but when we, 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 and we kind of started this conversation of, um, you know, what matters most, the organizational outcomes or the people in the organizations, right? And um, as we really uh, delved into all of these organizational um, impacts and, um, you know, reflected on various organizations, um, asserting that people are their most important asset, the most valuable asset. Um, we realize that organizations have a responsibility to their people. And um, we know that most people, well, people spend most of their waking hours at work and most of their lives at work. Uh, and so when we think about this idea of burnout or this construct of burnout um, that Barry Schwartz calls, um, you know, kind of illustrates as people sleepwalking through their time at work. Mm -hmm. We started to think about what obligation leaders and organizations may have to their people. And um, because we believe that individuals deserve to work in environments where they can thrive and flourish Uh, we set out to try to kind of uncover what might it take or what are some of the behaviors, the actions, the considerations that both leaders and organizations kind of should keep in mind, right? Or be mindful of so that employees can have this uh, work environment where one, they can thrive and flourish, but two, the organization wins as well. We have increased performance, increased productivity. So um, we know that work matters um, for both individuals and organizations, and we know that how employees feel about their work 
and how they're impacted and treated at work uh, matters equally. And so that's really the the driver, right? Or the impetus for how we started talking about this and we kind of, it just wouldn't let us go. So we kept talking about it and the pandemic really opened up uh, some time for us to work on it in a more meaningful way. Not to mention that everywhere we looked in the early days of the pandemic were conversations of people experiencing burnout, right? Or challenged with this blur between home and work as many people tried to navigate working at home. So um, it was just this uh, kind of uh, you know ideal time to explore um, and, and really spend the time to work on Fired Up. Mm. Well, and I think that was the one, uh, if there was a silver lining to COVID, I think you just hit the the nail on the head there was it, it opened a lot of people up to work on projects that they had, you know, kind of setting on the back burner for so long. So, uh, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of these types of projects that, that were developed and, and kind of brought to uh, brought to the market, so to speak, uh, during that time frame. So I'm glad this was one of them because y- y'all really did a good job going through the book of kind of uh, defining what burnout is and, and really uh, s- some good practices on how to deal with it. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that coming up here. But I think that's really actually probably a, a next good place to, to go with this because, uh, you know, a lot of people have used the term and I just feel burnt out today and all that. But, uh, you know, burnout is there, there's, well, let me just put it this way. Let me ask you as a question. What is burnout? How does somebody know if, if they are really burnt out at work versus just, you know, maybe a little zapped, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's, um, that is, uh, that is a great place to start. Right. And, um, I like to turn this question around a little bit. Um, you know, burnout represents, uh, an individual and organizational challenge that we know needs to be mitigated. Right. Burnout was initially conceptualized in the 1970s as a work phenomenon, but, we talk about burnout um, kind of now in our lives where, uh, you know, technology and uh, just the speed of change is um, a lot to wrap our heads around. We now are really talking about burnout in every area of life. So academically speaking, burnout is characterized by three things, exhaustion, um, and, and primarily emotional and physical exhaustion, cynicism, and what we call reduced professional efficacy or this feeling of lack of accomplishment. When we talk about exhaustion, uh, we're referring to having your emotional resources drained. Uh, perhaps that's like feeling tired, uh, but also chronic fatigue. And it's as a result of Um, excessive workload, and psychological demands. Chronic exhaustion leads to cynicism, um, which, you know, um, from that, I guess we would say callous and uncaring attitudes, behaviors, perhaps even distancing yourself from work, becoming more detached from work or your colleagues, those types of feelings actually emerge. And, uh, we might see that a person that is has been typically really involved 
um, pretty excited at work. They're becoming less involved, less responsive to the demands of their jobs, um, you know, maybe emotionally and cognitively detached from their work. Um, and when we have this exhaustion and cynicism, um, p- employees can start to feel that their work doesn't matter, right? Or this sense of accomplishment can begin to erode. And when we talk about this loss of efficacy, um, we're talking about social and non-social aspects of job and their career. Uh, And employees or people start to, uh, you know, the way they make meaning of that is feeling like they're less competent, uh, loss of confidence, um, perhaps their productivity or performance starts to um, wane, and they actually can start to believe that uh, they are they are not contributing, right, to to work, right, not making a difference. Their work doesn't matter. And they can also feel like the the performance that they have, right, they can have a negative evaluation of any accomplishments or their overall performance. Mm-hmm. I think when we talk about burnout, um, you know, it's this huge concept that I think sometimes can be challenging to unpack. So thinking about what burnout is not might also add clarification. And so we like to say that burnout's not just in somebody's head. It's not due to a resiliency deficit or lack of grit. Um, It's not something that a person can simply get over, right? It's not just exhaustion or not just being tired and thinking that, let me take a long weekend and I'm going to come out of this. Uh, It's not just fatigue or depression or anxiety, frustration or overwhelm, but those things could be symptoms. And I think for all of your listeners, these symptoms actually serve as warning signs uh, for yourself, but also for others. Um, If you start to see these types of changes, it's something to raise or at least to keep a lookout for, for those that you work with and around, um, leader or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like that last piece that you added there, leader or not. I mean, this is... Uh, you know, we talk about responsible leadership, but, you know, I mean, whether you're a formal leader, let me let me put it that way. I'll back it up a little bit. Whether you're a formal leader or not, you know, we, we all can have a little bit of responsible leadership for one another, whether we have a, a, a title and, and look out for these things. And and, and it's actually interesting because uh, I don't know if you were reading my mind there or not, but you mentioned the anxiety and depression because as you were going through that list, like, wow, this this has a lot of similarities to, to some of the mental health issues that we talk about in the workplace as well. So, you know, my, my follow-up question was going to be, is burnout a mental health issue? Well, um, this is what the World Health uh, Organization has said, right? This is a, um, uh, the, at least the symptom or the signs of it, or it can cause uh, these things like anxiety and depression. Um And so while it's not quite classified, it is uh, what people are talking about. Um, And so I think this is one reason why burnout is is something that we need to attend to or at least pay pay attention to is because of these effects. I mean, mental health effects, that is um, kind of one aspect or outcome that we should... uh, be mindful of, but there's also research that suggests burnout um, 
increases like other physical uh, and emotional um, challenges, things uh, from um, substance use abuse or substance, yes, yeah, substance use and abuse, uh, insomnia, um, increased risk of stroke, uh, heart attack. Um, some research also suggests that you know, working more than 55 hours a week also increases your chances of stroke. So there are some very interesting and I, I would suggest alarming um, outcomes associated with chronic stress and overwork and overwhelm uh, that we all need to pay attention to and, and be mindful of. Mm. Now, if I heard you right before, and please feel free to correct me if I I, I misheard or, or just completely made this up, but uh, it sounds like uh, the the trend for burnout has just been on a steady upward trajectory over the years. Like this is becoming a worse and worse problem over the years. Yes, that's um I didn't mention that, but that is definitely true. If I alluded to oh. that, um, when we look at you know some of our research. A lot of our research was pre-pandemic, right? And then the pandemic emerged, so we needed to consider the pandemic effects. But as of 2019, 60% of employees reported an increase in job-related pressure um, for the past five years, right? So that's 2014 to 2019, uh, 60% of employees uh, reported increased work stress. Uh, 56% of employees reported increased job demands. Nearly 70% of employees felt overextended by their workload. Uh, only 38% felt that they were able to have a healthy work-life balance. And 70% felt that they were um, likely to experience burnout. So this is pre-pandemic. The pandemic just amplified. I think we've seen this in almost anything we talk about, that the pandemic amplified things that were already there. Uh, and it has changed the way it is. It has really changed our lenses. So we think about things and we see things differently. But yes, this is a growing trend. And when you, if you were to ask, well, is it one industry or one type of role uh, is there a, you know, a certain type of person that may experience burnout more? I would say no. Truly, burnout is ubiquitous. It occurs in every industry, role, country. There is, uh, uh, Pew has done research. Uh, Paychex has done global research. McKinsey has done research. And it really doesn't matter where you sit kind of physically or hierarchically in the organization and what you do, you could be, you could experience burnout. Mm. Tell you what, I think that is a good point right there to let's go ahead and, and take our commercial break a little early here. Cause I think we're getting ready to get into some, some really good conversation here. So if it's all right with you, uh, let's go ahead and take our, our commercial break, pay some bills, and let's uh, pick up this conversation on the other side. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, listeners, we're going to do that. Let those commercials play, and we'll see you here in just a few seconds. All 
All right, listeners, here we are. We're back with uh, Dr. Mia Baytop-Russell. We've been talking a lot about uh, burnout and uh, Fired Up and got into some uh, the, the book Fired Up with uh, Gervin Liggins. And uh, we've gotten in some really good conversations so far. And uh, we left off right before the commercial break talking about how uh, burnout has really just kind of permeated through basically all sectors of, of the workforce and, um, and, and basically our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and as you were, were talking about that, like this was starting to make so much more sense to me and hopefully making sense to listeners because, you know, over those years, uh, you know, that, that, that you've talked about since burnout was identified and, and we've started really tracking these numbers, we've become more and more connected and connect as a society. And, you know, that, that number 55 hours plus of work, um, I, I don't know anybody who, if they're being honest with themselves now, works less than 55 hours a week because they've always got the little black mirror in their hand and they've got their email on them and they're always checking messages and they're texting coworkers and they're doing all these things. Right. So uh, it just, it's, it seems like burnout is almost inescapable right now. So uh, what, what can we do to disconnect and, and, and kind of, cool down the burn a little bit? Yeah, so I guess I would say um, from an organizational perspective, uh, we offer a framework that we call um, the OJP model or framework, uh, which um, examines the organization, the job or role, and the person. And when we're trying to um, kind of mitigate or um, reduce, let's just say, address burnout, It's there are some strategies that leaders and organizations, uh, you know, can employ. So if we talk about, uh, I guess before I say that, um, let me say the way that we came up with this framework is um, by really thinking about the aspects of the work environment, the physical uh psychological and the social aspects that all that make up the work environment and how there is this interrelated um, aspect or nature. So certainly uh, the, you know, policies that are made at a corporate or organization wide level, they do trickle down and they do affect uh, the actual job that you may do or maybe processes that you have to um, uh, uh, take or make. Um, and sometimes these things might create more cogs in a system, create more stress for you as an individual. Um, but there are also ways that, um, you know, there are, we could think about this structure um, as perhaps like levers that uh, a, a leader or organization can pull and can uh, monitor and can tweak to make sh- to to lighten the load, right? Or lighten the demands for employees. Likewise, perhaps they can add more resources that um, help to enable people to do their work better, um, and also give more satisfaction and meaning at work. So, 
Um, I say all that to say, when we think about the organization job in person, there are questions that we um, offer. For example, um, can the physical environment be modified? Um, you know, for example, might there be a lighting issue, right? There's lots of research that says lighting impacts mood and performance, morale, right? Might the work environment be more pleasant or inviting and collaborative? What could happen? What might you do to think about working spaces and co-working spaces, right? Uh, there is um, a uh, lots of organizations today are creating more co-working hubs, huddle rooms, right? They're trying to create a more, a, more of a collaborative um, environment with, that people want to be. Um, might you improve the transparency and frequency of communication? So uh, we know that communication and or a lack of effective communication creates stress uh, for employees. It uh, and in some ways, dysfunction. They may not know how to react or respond. Uh, they're not sure if they're getting the full story. They're not sure if they're getting the true story. And they don't know what to do with uh, that information in order to perform their job or uh, even to, to make determinations of whether or not they want to be in this role or with this company or working for this leader. So there are things like that that can be addressed at an organizational level, um, as well as things like recognition and learning opportunities, fair treatment, um, and simply a climate of respect. I started when you, when you asked about um, uh, responsible leadership, uh, I started by saying, I think it's one that has this care and consideration for others, but it's really undergirded by uh, trust, respect, and fairness. Do people know this is these are values in the organization? Some of these types of things uh, leaders and organizations should consider. Um, we'd also say for the you know OJP, the J part is about considering the job. Are the right people assigned to the right tasks, right? Perhaps uh, a job audit and or a desk audit might help you identify uh, better placement for tasks and or people, right? It, it might be possible to reassign tasks or redesign roles to spread work uh, differently, right? To allocate work differently. Um, maybe that's more evenly or maybe more appropriately. Uh, we often talk about leveraging strengths but it, do we do that in practice, right? Where are some of your team's strengths, uh, assets? Uh, we believe that um, if we take a strengths-based or asset-based approach, like uh, we can do almost anything, right? If people are truly able to play to their strengths, um, perhaps there are ways to improve the team's workflow or process practices, Um and then finally, if we consider the person, uh, um, while many things related to, uh, you know, uh, a member of your team is external to work, there are ways that leaders can still help. Perhaps they can build more meaningful relationships, right? Again, if we're talking about trust, which is foundational to any relationship, maybe there's a better way to get to know uh everyone that works with and for you so that at least if there is a problem, you can get a heads up. You can offer the support. Um, they may know, you may be able to offer resources 
because everyone is managing a lot now. I think um, in, in, in many different ways. And if it's not that we're managing more, it's that we are more willing to say what we're managing. I feel like this is one thing that has also come out of the pandemic, um, this willingness to share um, concerns and uh, feelings of frustration and overwhelm. Uh, but we leaders can create opportunities for um, everyone on their team to be satisfied at work, to uh, find purpose and passion, to find meaning in their work. And we think that this really starts by leveraging their individual strengths. So when we take this idea, this OJP framework, uh, ensuring that we consider the organization, the job slash role and the person, we think that you can identify kind of and assess the characteristics in the work environment that you can use to mitigate burnout, but also to drive or foster more engagement. And we know that if we do this in this interactive way at each level of the organization, um, it allows you to tailor your approach, right? To, to select kind of, um, more appropriate strategies based on each individual team member's unique needs, um, based on kind of organizational culture and policies. But all in all, taking this framework uh, allows you to create conditions that support well-being and engagement. Mm. That that sound of angels singing while you were answering there was was my heart opening up and smiling because uh, my longtime listeners were probably like yes yes I know what what Earl's getting ready to say as soon as he can start talking again is is you know leadership is just another relationship that's something I say quite a bit on this show and and when you were starting to talk about that I, I loved everything that you were talking about there with the the OJP model because. Uh, you know, especially the the people piece, uh, and, and that is something I stress so much. And I I loved hearing you say that because, uh, yeah, build that that relationship piece is is so key because, especially with that connectivity and with everything going on in the world, you know, uh, y- you can see this like like you can see these signs you can see the signs of burnout start to creep up. If you have that relationship with your people, you're going to be able to see when they're starting to get burnt out because they're going to, as you pointed out earlier, you'll see those, those behavior modifications start to take effect. And you're going to know that that's not the way Earl normally acts what's going on. And, and I think there's probably no better antidote to that, the burnout than to have a leader that, knows and cares, knows you well enough and cares enough to come over and tap you on the shoulder and and say, Hey, Mia, I noticed you've been off a little bit. Is everything okay? Right? Like showing that you care is, is a really great antidote to burnout in it. Yeah. And in fact, um, we, we also suggest that we think about burnout, um, kind of in a risk management framework, right? I think we could learn a lot about kind of the fight against burnout. I just, I thought about fighting these uh, uh, war terms again, so I'm sorry. But (laughs) in this fight against uh, employee burnout, uh, we do think we can learn a lot from risk management. 
Um, risk managers are curious and skilled uh, at thinking about um, how certain decisions, practices, or policies impact future plans, right? Um, they may be the point of contact for business continuity planning. Um, they work diligently to identify risks and strategies uh, to prevent some potentially harmful activities or practices. And so what if we thought about um, our way forward by embracing this idea of a burnout risk manager, right? If mm-hmm. we um, if we learned the signs and the symptoms of burnout, we could do just what you said. We could affirm our team, our colleagues. We could let them know if they're experiencing burnout, it's not their fault and that we're ready to support them. We can find out what they might need from us or from the organization. Um, in the same way that you say leadership is a, excuse me, a relationship, we say that um, burnout is a leader's problem, but not the leader's fault, right? I, I think almost everything that I've been able to share, at least from the statistics, says that burnout is happening, right? It doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing. Again, I think World Health Organization said one in every four employees will experience burnout. So burnout is happening. It's not uh, anyone's fault that is happening, but we do have a responsibility to uh, kind of to be there and 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 support uh, these people that we call our most important resource, right? So I, I think uh, we all should take up the charge of tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying, "Are you okay? Can I help?" Yeah, no, hundred percent. Hundred percent. So I'm kind of curious with with all the the work and research that that uh, the two of you did uh, and and continue to do um, over the past you know few years. We we we've heard some cute little uh, buzzword catchphrasey terms. You know, uh, quiet quitting and and uh, as we were talking in the spin up, I just heard one that's uh, starting to make its rounds. Uh, of, of uh, I've heard it called anger and, and, and rage applying um, and, and things like that. Um, retiring in place, you know, is another one. Organizations that take the time to, to do the things that, that, that we just discussed have lower rates of burnout. Uh, is there a direct correlation uh, between how they experience these quiet quitting and, and, and things like that? Like, do they see that phenomenon at the same rate or is taking the time to take care of your people? Uh, you mentioned the risk management. So I, I'm assuming that I probably know the answer here, but I'm, I'm going to ask the question anyway, because I hate to just assume. Do those organizations that take it serious, are, are they more risk averse to these kind of negative trends in the workforce? Yeah, so our research hasn't looked at that, especially in the, um, you know, post-pandemic. But what we can say historically, we have lots of research to support that engaged employees uh, lead to improved productivity, increased business performance. Um, uh, They uh, foster positive connections, uh, 
at work. They have a greater commitment to work, organizational commitment. They have um, uh, kind of almost any of the positive organizational outcomes that we're interested in. We see it when people are engaged at work, right? So I would imagine that we don't see these things like retiring in place or um, certainly the uh, the rage and anger uh, applying. Um, you know, they're, they're happy. They have the challenges that they need. They're satisfied um, at work. You know, they have opportunities to grow. So um, I would imagine that, that we wouldn't see a, a, a high prevalence of those types of behaviors. Um, in general, when we talk about engaged employees, you know, we talk about things like, you know, they have more, pur- they have purpose or they feel purposeful about their work. They're motivated. Uh, they're willing. They're positive, um, cooperative, encouraging, uplifting. I think those words come to mind. And so there is just no congruence with some of the behaviors that we've seen, um, you know, from quiet quitting forward. Gotcha. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, make, makes perfect sense. So, you know, you, you've you've been studying this and, and teaching in this arena for a while. Um, I, I got to ask, like when you set out to, uh, to to write the book and you really started kind of digging deep and putting some of these things together, uh, was there any one thing that really kind of like one piece of research or one little tidbit or factoid that, that you or uh, uh, Dr. Liggins kind of uncovered that really uh, shocked either of you about this topic? Huh, that's a good question. Let's see what shocked us. Um you know, we have uh, kind of distinctly different interests. So I'm sure one of the things that, whether or not it shocked uh, Gervin or at least kind of confirmed some of his thoughts, were really around um, the uh, when organizations have a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, when they have consistent policies, uh, when leaders demonstrate kind of fairness and justice. I think those types of things um, he was uh, happy to see uh, because he's interested in uh, organizational commitment. I would say um, I uh, I did a, a deep dive into like uh, kind of hope and resilience and optimism. And um, I was interested in, um, in how I was in, I was interested to see, um, and I guess pleasantly uh, surprised to see that the um, kind of employees that are more hopeful and optimistic um, are, are looking for organizations that uh, kind of demonstrate care and d- demonstrate care for their well being. So. Um, it's like we talk about things, uh, you know, work-life balance or general well-being, but we don't really put this organizational lens on it. And um, employees, and I, I would almost argue to say many employees today, care a lot more um, about, at least when I, <laughs> yeah, maybe when I entered the workforce, 
I really cared about my salary, you know, benefits. I did want to think that uh, corporate social responsibility wasn't a word quite yet or a phrase quite yet, but I did want to think that where I worked, uh, they were doing things that contributed to society. But today I feel like that is the bare minimum, right? That you're doing things that demonstrate you, you care for your employee, like for all stakeholders. And I think that means a lot more today. Yeah. No, I think that is true. I think that is absolutely true. Like, like, you know, there, there's uh, quite a few pieces of research out there that, that talk about uh, that, right. That, that employees will sacrifice salary for, uh, for, for, a, a organization that has a purpose yeah, um, uh, or, you know, an organization that believes more in work-life balance, whatever that work-life balance piece means to them, whether it's remote work or telework or whether it is, you know, some type of flexible work schedule or, you know, or if it's an organization that believes in, in a cause that they believe in, you know, whether it's reducing plastics in, in the oceans or, or whatever it is. So I think you're a hundred percent spot on on that, that corporate social responsibility uh, social justice causes, whatever it may be. And, and I think organizations really are starting to notice that and, and, um, and, and really do a, I'm going to say better job. I don't want to give anybody uh, un, unnecessary pats on the back right now, because my fear with some of this is that organizations are doing it just to win brownie points um, <laughs> but I hope that they believe in the things that they're investing in. I really do hope that they are. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it, they're starting to see the value in paying attention to those things. So, uh, I'm glad that, that, that you realized that, or that you, you saw that and it stuck out to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been chatting now a little over 40, 40, uh, a little over 40 minutes at this point, uh, um, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover in our discussion that you really want to leave listeners with before we get out of here? Yeah, I think that um, uh, one thing that um, I, I guess I, I would really piggybacking off of what you just said around what employees are expecting today and uh, this hope that organizations and leaders are not just doing this just to win this talent war today, but this is something that we will continue to see. I guess we, um, you know, we thought about some strategies that, um, you know, maybe I'd like to share some of the strategies that we spent some time thinking about um, that we think can help leaders, um, help your listeners kind of get their team fired up and also Mm -hmm. to uh, keep them fired up. So, in this, in this kind of uh, one of the things that I think we're alluding to, but haven't come out straightforward to say is that um, holding yourself and every member of your team accountable is really important, right? That our leaders should lead by example, um, because failure to do that can lead to disengagement and foster distrust. Um, I mentioned it was really important to uh, not just say that, uh, uh, we leverage strengths, but actually do it. And one idea or one way to do that might be by consistent, consistently evaluating strengths and roles, making sure that 
the right people are doing the right jobs. Uh, sometimes this also provides an opportunity for growth if people have an interest in other areas, uh, perhaps other business lines, perhaps other functions. Um, there may be a way to leverage their strength, skills, um, and talents to help them truly find happiness and meaning um, in their work, um, whether that's on your team or not, right? But at least they can continue to add organizational value. Um, we talked about investing in personal relationships. Um, and again, that, um, you know, leaders have to find ways to connect um, both inside and out of work and truly foster genuine relationship. And then I think that uh, if leaders can prioritize uh, personal development, again, you know, thinking about the strengths um, and leveraging those strengths and finding opportunities for people on their team, um, it's, it's also really uh, important and helpful to support your team by creating, uh, you know, a learning and growth development plan or, um, trying to find ways, meaningful ways that uh, your team can contribute to the organization. And so there is research that suggests when employees feel like they're making um, a valuable contribution, uh, they're more likely to, uh, they're 20% more likely to hold the same job in a year. So I think there are tons of things that leaders can do. Um, and I, I think that the the work is hard, right? It's going to take time and energy and effort, but your team is worth it, right? And so um, we offer lots of strategies and ideas that we've gotten, that we've been able to kind of gather from various industries. Um, and so we don't suggest that there's a one-size-that-fits-all approach, but we know that um, there are tools that leaders can use, um, and oftentimes they're not even expensive, right? They're not, these strategies that were suggested aren't expensive, you know, providing um, recognition, right? Small thank yous or small tokens of appreciation. Uh, by understanding who uh, you work with and kind of their, what what truly fuels them goes such a long way, Um and so I would just encourage uh, your listeners to, to to kind of to consider these approaches and you know find ways that they can put them to immediate use. I think it's uh, they'll find that it's well worth it. I I agree with that a hundred percent. It is absolutely well worth it, and thank you for for sharing that. And on that note. You know, as a reminder to the listeners, uh, we've been chatting with Dr. Uh, Dr. Mia Baytop Russell about the book Fired Up, A Guide to Transforming Your Team from Burnout to Engagement, co-authored with Dr. Gervin Liggins. Um, and people want to find out more about these strategies, want to find out more about the book. I highly encourage you all to go grab a copy of the book because it's got a lot of this information in it. But what's a good place for them to go and, and find out more information about what y'all are doing, uh, get a copy of the book and find out more about these strategies? 
Well, um, first, I'd say you can connect with us, uh, both of us on LinkedIn. We spend some time on LinkedIn regularly. We also have a website, thinkfiredup.com. And then if if you want to purchase the book, which we hope you will, uh, you can purchase it at almost any online retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart. Um, So we uh, invite you to... uh, Check it out um, and then engage with us. We really like to uh, hear about what's working and what's not, um, any ideas that you might have. So we do um, invite that engagement. I look forward to talking to you. Yeah, and we will have links to all that in the show notes so listeners can just get there and and, uh, and get those things uh, nice and easy. Uh, Mia, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I really appreciate you spending the time with me and my listeners and doing the work that you were doing um, and, and taking the time and, and putting up with a Marine to, to write a, a book like this. I know that had to have been a uh, um, fun experience. Uh, oh yeah. I'm sure it was all, all giggles, right? All giggles. No, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, I really appreciate everything that y'all are doing and uh, the, the work that you're putting out there. And you've been a fantastic guest. Just thanks for spending the time with me and my listeners on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.